Welcome to Civics and Coffee. My name is Alicia and I am a self-professed history nerd. Each week, I'm going to chat about a topic on U.S. history and give you both the highlights and occasionally break down some of the complexities in history and share stories you may not remember learning in high school, all in the time it takes to enjoy a cup of coffee. Welcome back, everybody. Are you tired of World's Fairs yet? I hope not. I got more to cover. This week, I'm going to dive into the Golden Gate International Expo, the Fair of 1964, and I promise, this is the wrapping up of all of the World's Fairs. So, grab your coffee. Let's do this, peeps. Last week, I left you at the Chicago Fair of 1933, with its Belgian village precursor to Epcot, and the hope the fair would help bring the country out of the economic downturn. Just a few short years later in 1939, two cities would host a World's Fair, New York and San Francisco, but only one would be officially recognized by the Bureau of International Expositions. Apparently, the BIE only sanctions one country as a host per decade, and therefore, recognition by the BIE was reserved for New York. With a theme of building the world of tomorrow, New York's fair focused on looking to the future, Opening on April 30, 1939, attractions included an exhibit known as the Futurama, which took visitors on a tour of the city in 1960 and is known as the first televised appearance by the President of the United States, with Franklin Roosevelt addressing attendees on opening day. The time has come for me to announce, with solemnity perhaps, but with great happiness, a fact. Interestingly enough, the fair was erected on top of an old dumping ground and took three years to complete, requiring importing trees to line the visitor walkways. They filled in marshland and worked around the clock to prepare the grounds for the fair. And though not entirely ready come opening day, over 200,000 people were on site to open the Grand Spectre of Tomorrow. One of the most popular areas of the fair was the amusement area. One of the reasons it was enticing to fairgoers was the free samples. Attendees were able to get samples of Coke and candy during a time when the majority of the country was still struggling to find employment and had very little extra income to spare. Attendees of the fair reported feeling hope for the future and getting out of the Depression mentality. Across the country in San Francisco, the Golden Gate International Exposition opened on February 28, 1939, and was in commemoration of the completion of two major landmarks in the Bay Area. The Oakland-San Francisco Bay Bridge, completed in 1936, and the Golden Gate Bridge, completed in 1937. Fun fact, these two bridges were the longest bridges built at the time. The Bay Bridge was considered the longest continuous overwater steel structure until 1973, and the Golden Gate Bridge held the record of longest suspension bridge until 1981. The expo was held on what is known today as Treasure Island, Planners, wanting to differentiate themselves from the Expo of 1915, but wanting a prime location between the two completed bridges, chose the island due to its centrality. Like the site in New York, the selected location for the Golden Gate Expo required a lot of work. 
Development of the island was funded in part by the Works Progress Administration, or WPA, a New Deal agency responsible for creating jobs for public works projects. One of the most popular and longest-lasting contributions of the fair? The scenic 49-mile drive. The tour starts at San Francisco City Hall and winds throughout the city, ending on Treasure Island. You guys, I'm really starting to feel like a failed California native for not knowing these little tidbits. Anyway, unfortunately, both fairs would run smack into the Second World War, with Germany invading Poland on September 1st, 1939. This dampened international participation a bit, but for the attendees who participated, it was a sight to be seen and demonstrated the ability of the American recovery. Seattle was the next city to host a World's Fair, seen largely as the fair that put America back into the space race. Feeling a little hysterical that the Soviet Union had launched Sputnik, the U.S. felt they needed to demonstrate they had the means and drive to win the competition. The official theme of the fair was man in the space age. The Seattle Fair was one of the smallest fairs ever held, covering only 74 acres. And unlike its predecessors, the exhibition halls were built to last. One of the most iconic visions of Seattle, the Space Needle, was erected special just for the fair. Hammering that space theme, John Glenn, an astronaut, made an appearance at the fair after his first orbital flight. President Kennedy was also scheduled to make an appearance, however, had to bow out due to a cold. But he wasn't sick. He was handling a small little issue known as the Cuban Missile Crisis. We're definitely going to talk about that in a later episode. Moving on to 1964 and New York's World's Fair. Denied official recognition by the BIE, a number of member countries opted not to participate, including France and Italy. Despite the setbacks, 80 countries still participated in some form or another. In an interesting fair opener, two Ethiopian runners participated in a pseudo half marathon, running from Central Park to Singer Bowl. Opening on April 22, 1964, New York's fair covered over 600 acres and was held again in Flushing Meadows Park. This fair was known as another consumer showcase with a lot of major corporations operating pavilions demonstrating new and improved gadgets and appliances. IBM, General Motors, and Ford were all participants showcasing their new inventions, including the first pony car, the Mustang. But of course, what people remember most is Walt Disney's participation and all the fun that came with it. Looking to test out some new technology from his Wed Enterprise Imagineers, Disney hosted three attractions. It's a Small World, the Carousel of Progress, and Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln. All of these attractions were testing various forms of audio animatronics. While they are a staple in a lot of rides today, audio animatronics was a brand new invention in the 60s. Visitors' responses were so positive that Disney decided to move his It's a Small World to Disneyland in California. Walt was also testing the interest for Disney-based theme park on the East Coast. Seeing how much attendees enjoyed the Disney-provided entertainment, Walt moved ahead with his plans to build another park. This development eventually turned into Walt Disney World and opened in 1971, five years after the founder passed away. Not to be outdone by the titans of industry, states also hosted pavilions to demonstrate items of local pride. Wisconsin proudly displayed the world's largest cheese. My husband would be in love. 1964 appears to be the last year that brought a lot of innovation and specter to the world's fairs, at least in the United States. As international travel became more easily accessible and technology easing the workloads at home, people started to find other methods of entertainment. 
However, there are a few tidbits from the fairs that are worth sharing. In 1968, San Antonio hosted the Hemisphere. The opening of this fair occurred just two days after Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated and led to heightened security presence for the high-profile individuals invited to celebrate the opening. The fair was hosted on 92 acres, mainly acquired through eminent domain, and attracted 6 million visitors and had 30 countries who participated. In 1974, Spokane, Washington hosted the first environmentally focused fair. Most fairs previously tended to focus on national pride, technological innovation, and amusement attractions. But one major technical advancement did make its debut at the fair, the IMAX theater. Gosh, remember movie theaters? 2020 has been a real trip. In 1982, Tennessee hosted the Knoxville International Energy Expo, which focused on, you guessed it, energy. President Ronald Reagan helped open the fair, and it was here one of the best inventions ever was displayed. Cherry Coke. Love me some Cherry Coke, you guys. The last known World's Fair hosted in the United States was in 1984 in New Orleans. This was the first fair to have their very own official mascot, known as Seymour D. Fair. However, the fair overall, not a success. There was a lot of competing domestic attractions available in 1984. The Summer Olympics were being held in Los Angeles, and Disney World opened Epcot in Florida. All right, did you make it? If you did, congratulations. I have to say, I learned quite a lot while doing this topic. Lots of amazing things have occurred at World's Fairs, and they've served a vital role in reigniting confidence within the American economy and political system. There were also dark sides to pretty much every fair, from serial killers and women and minorities who were denied equal access to exhibits and were otherwise marginalized or mocked when they were included. There was also a long line of fiscal mismanagement since one of the primary drives to host a World's Fair revolved around the almighty dollar. And though they've decreased in popularity in the United States, World's Fairs helped shift buying habits and at least initially opened up a version of the world to attendees they otherwise would not have seen. So, thanks for sticking with me for three episodes about the World's Fair. If you want me to cover an event, topic, or person from the United States history, hit me up, either on the socials, Instagram at Civics and Coffee, the Facebook at Civics and Coffee, or the quote-unquote old-school way via email at civicscoffeepod at gmail.com. Next week, I return to regular programming and take us back to the American Revolution. Did you know there was a ring of individuals throughout the boroughs of New York spying for George Washington? More on that next week. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of Civics and Coffee. If you want to hear more small snippets from American history, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining me, and I look forward to our next cup of coffee together. Thank you.